You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? everyone welcome back from thanksgiving welcome back welcome back this is debbie i'm here with christy noisy narratives is back after our week off we were mm-hmm. just talking how a week sometimes feels like you've been gone a long time because we're not really ever gone from this place for Mm-mm. that long Mm-mm. well even sitting down at the table with the microphones like yeah. it was like i feel like i don't feel like i've been, been, been here for a while time. yeah it's even yeah it's funny did arkansas we were gone gone so it yeah. does make it feel like a time warp a little bit but... did arkansas treat you well oh it did it was so fun oh, we good. had such a good time we had a great spread all the fam and it did was... you get your green bean casserole you know what i didn't what? i ended up i know I like we, we did the whole thing was laid out and were you like there's no green bean casserole? No, it was it no no it was more because I was gonna bring it if I was gonna do it but there was so much food mm-hmm. and so many of us now on are on stricter ways to eat that mm-hmm. I was like you know what there's gonna be enough there messing with us we'll just do so I did do fresh green beans so I had my green beans but they were healthy. Did you pie? <laughs> did you eat all the pies you wanted to? I did eat a lot of pie. <laughs> was bad when I did good for you oh my word sugar is my thing I'm supposed to be careful about sugar but I just did you detox two days later I did Mm. yeah had to but anyway but it was sure fun it was a lot of fun and it's just we're all putting it together we have music on and there's just so much she has they have a big kitchen my kitchen's kind of small in my house but she has a really big kitchen so What's fun is we're all in there cooking, doing our thing, Mm -hmm. laughing, talking, music, you know. So anyway, it was fun. It was just great. Yeah, we had a really good time. We had macaroni and cheese missing from our thing, from our spread. We didn't realize it. We added it it for the first time. We added mac and cheese for the first time. But you're saying you always have done that and yours was gone. Well, my brother has recently been divorced and his now ex-wife would always bring it. And she makes amazing mac and cheese. Oh, okay. So I just need to next year get her recipe so that we can put it back. Because even the kids were like, where's the mac and cheese? And I was like, oh, sorry. It's not on the spread. But was yours, did you have a good... It was nice. Now, the was weather was great. House, and it was at your house, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you're back in your house. This was mm-hmm. your, was this your first kind of big family gathering? I guess so. Yeah. Since you were back yeah. in. It was nice. Yeah. It was really nice. The weather was nice, which just always makes it key because we play outside, all that fun stuff. But I saw you had posted, you guys had done your football, your annual football game, right? They were out oh, front yeah. playing football. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. They would go to the park down the street and they played. Okay. It was I fun. just saw that I it was a big uh-huh. open area. I was trying to figure out where it was. Oh, park. yeah, you have a park right down the road from yeah. me. Yeah, so we go down yeah. there. Nobody nobody sprained an ankle. Nobody pulled a muscle. <laughs> no stitches. <laughs> no stitches. It was close. <laughs> we think some muscles could have been pulled, but the it was Cowboys fine. The Cowboys won yeah, on Thanksgiving, everybody was so happy. that was good. It was a happy day. It was. Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, but yeah. have you put up your Christmas stuff yet? Oh, my goodness. Usually, yes, but I have not yet. Okay, so, so I'm usually I'm doing like that you. this week. I'm usually I did it the weekend after, but I haven't yet. So when you put up <laughs> your Christmas tree, mm-hmm. I've discovered I have an aversion to balls. To the hang ones. I know that makes you nervous. You're going to clarify that real fast, yeah, aren't I am. you? <laughs> I'm like, 
I work with teenagers. I just have to. I did that on purpose, Debbie, just for fun. She sees me stare like, okay. Uh, but she's I'm like, like all right, no. Quickly. The thing on the, the Christmas tree ornaments that are yes. in circular form. You also like known them. as ornament balls. Yes. You don't like them. I don't think I like them. Now, why is, is this a new thing? I think so. No, I've never hung them up. But my sister and I had a conversation as we were watching Sound of Music the other night on... She said something like, oh, I have a whole, like, container of balls. Do you want them for the Christmas tree? And I was like, I don't like balls. No, thank you. And, of course, we giggled like we were in junior high again for a long time. But I don't think I enjoy having those on my Christmas tree. Really? I know. And then I was able to even be like, I don't think they're very personal. Like, they're very ornamental. They they're are. very just they're like. They're not very personal. No. no. And I would rather have, like, right now we have a, like, a styrofoam C on an ornament like it's an ornament and I think uh -huh. it's Creighton's on the back of it it says like 2000 and something and he like got he it somewhere made it or bought it yes. or something and I'm like I think I would rather have that than yeah. balls hanging on my Christmas tree so you you like how many trees do you put up did you say two you do two or we three. do the kids two have this year well each kid has their own in their room but it's just light so okay. there's no ornaments and then there's okay. one like in their little small hallway and then I've got one by our front door because now it needed a new tree so I bought a new tree there and then one in our living room. So your your trees, both of the ones you put up, tend to be more personal ornaments on both. Well, of one right now, I bought a new one that has that white frosting on it, oh, and it fine. has nothing on it. Yeah, because I actually just, just like pretty. the white and the lights. Yeah. And then the other one is more personal. But okay. I people have given us balls. How many times yeah. can I say that? It's gonna be so fun. <laughs> balls for our tree, and I am like, mm, I don't like them. No, I know. And that interesting. What about you? Is your whole tree? So uh, we balls? have one tree. <laughs> we have one tree that is like more the personal, all like our personal yeah. ornaments and just the fun stuff and everything. And then we have another tree that tends to be more themed, even though I never change my theme out. It's like I've had the same stuff for like you know ten years yeah. or whatever. But um, it's like the gold and the red and the oh, yeah. pretty more traditional mm -hmm. stuff. And that's there are ornamental balls all, all over that mm -hmm. one like that's part of the theme yeah. of the tree or whatever and I just pull them out every year but what I'm beginning to hate is glitter <laughs> so oh because it gets everywhere it gets everywhere it's everywhere so in a lot of my tree the theme tree has glitter yeah all over, which it's pretty it's beautiful but then I was vacuuming up last year just the glitter, glitter everywhere and you were like glitter no more I was like oh but then I haven't it's not like I've replaced the stuff I have so I'll pull it out again you don't this you're year. never tempted to be like I'm changing it this year you know I, I'm tempted but then no. you go to spend the uh -huh. money and I, I just the practical part of me is like why mm -hmm. this is pretty everything yeah. works why am I gonna throw this away it feels very consumerish yeah and I just can't Christmas, do it I'm already spending a bunch of money on Christmas and the older I get, the less I want to just keep replacing mm -hmm. all the time. This is, and I, Jamie and I were laughing. We were like, this is how old people end up with the same stuff in their house all the time. Cause we yep. just decide we don't need to replace it all right. the time. Like, it's just, I don't know if it's energy. I don't know if it's just take on life, yep. but I was like, we will be the ones with the same stuff when we're 90 that we've had mm -hmm. when we're 50. and your kids walk in and be like mom <laughs> exactly. it smells like moth balls. exactly Can we please switch out the christmas day <laughs> can you at least like change out the, the blender? blender like yeah. this button doesn't work mm -hmm. and you gotta shake it and <laughs> mm -hmm. i will say though i do think people can decorate a tree and it looks amazing yeah with the balls on it. I think it looks great. But for my house, I just you can't do it. Like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. How we all have different preferences. But I didn't know that till we were sitting on the couch talking about it when we were watching You're that like, movie. That's what my deal is. Yep. Is I don't want to buy those. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Say it, Debbie. You don't want balls on your tree. 
I do though on mine. <laughs> I don't want balls. You don't. <laughs> I don't want balls on my tree. You know, like oh, a twenty my now. Crazy. Well, okay. We're just speaking of trees, like our first kid's tree is missing its top because it's too tall for our foyer. But it looks. I thought you were gonna put ant. We like, are. We're gonna put okay, fun good. stuff up there. Oh, good. But I was like, you know, it's one of those things you have to decide not to have perfection. Yeah. I think like it's just like to the glitter conversation. All this. You need to put like to a to have it fun. Nerf gun up there that runs on like a remote and shoot it at the kids, oh, my and they'll gosh. never know. That would be. Hilarious. That would be so fun. <laughs> and like put it on a pivot so you like you can turn it and control it. How would you even do that? Oh, ask Mark Hampton. He could totally do that for you. Oh my goodness. Something <laughs> that you shoot people as they walk by. And I need to have a little squirrel or chipmunk holding it up there something <laughs> oh that would be awesome that would be awesome. so great and then record all the people walking oh by being like, i just got nailed what by that world i'll take out somebody's eye and we'll get sued mm-hmm. be great <laughs> be so fun okay so let's good. move to our fabulous guest that is we here we have an amazing guest we have an amazing guest we have annalise annalise johnson with us she grew up going to church here more or less junior high middle school junior high high school just high school She's telling me, no, I didn't, Christy, so I'm changing as I go. Just high school. Um, her mom is super involved, Cindy Johnson. She's over at Sunshine right now. Is she not? No, she taught at Sunshine for a number of years. I'm way off on all my information. <laughs> but now she has, she has a brand new grandbaby, and so that's uh, a precedence. <laughs> I thought I saw her car over there. Is she in Mops? I she saw, is in Mops. There it is. I'm confusing my days. That's mornings. what it was. Yes, she's a grand, and, brand and she still grand. substitutes for Sunshine School. She so does. she's around. Yeah. <laughs> she's well, always here. I was like, You're I feel like I've off. seen her car over there on Tuesdays yeah. or Thursdays. So we have you here because you um, were in Israel on October 7th, and you have been in Israel quite often, and you have a love for the people over there. She and lives, so, she's lived there. Yeah, she's for, currently living. Yeah. yeah, she's just currently here for obvious yeah. reasons, but you lived there for a while. Yeah, and so you're going back, you said, hopefully soon, but you don't know when. But tell us, how did you fall in love with Israel and want to go work there and be a part of that culture? Yes, thank you for having me today. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been living in Israel for three years, since November of 2020. I have been visiting Israel since May of 2018 on my first trip. With your mom? It was actually not with my mom, but I did go with her three weeks later. So my second trip was with my mom. Um, I grew up in a family that loves Israel and loves the Jewish people and is very uh, strong in in faith and and, in biblical topics. My mom's dad liberated a concentration camp during World War II, and he also worked in the displaced persons camp camps after the war in Europe. And ever since then, and with his strong faith in God, uh, he has, because of those combined, he has always felt a strong connection to the Jewish people. Mm. And he raised my mom and my aunt to always care about God's people and about the land. And so he brought her to Israel when she was 15 on a study tour. She loved it, fell in love (laughs) with the country, the people, the cultures, everything about it. She loved the people and the tour and the cultures and everything about being in Israel, so much so that she returned when she was 17 to be an exchange student. She was an exchange student living with a host family in a small community called a kibbutz in Jerusalem at Ramat Rachel, 
Uh, present day, Ramat Rachel is a beautiful resort. Uh, back in the day, it mm. was not. <laughs> um, her job was picking peaches in the orchard. And she made incredible friendships and relationships over there. She has gone back to Israel, I'm not sure how many times. A lot. A lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> many, many times um, since the 80s when she was there. And she raised my siblings and me to also care about the people in the land, not only biblical Israel, but also modern day. And when I was a freshman in university at Texas A&M, my friend found this opportunity with this organization called Passages. It's an incredible program. They, since its founding about eight to ten years ago, they have taken over 10,000 university students to Israel for a life-changing trip for 10 days. And I was accepted to that program, and I went summer after freshman year. I was one of the youngest on my trip. There were maybe 30 to 40 of us, all university students. And I remember being at our hotel on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, really not wanting to leave. I loved it. I loved everything about my trip. Mm. And my parents and younger brother were going to Israel less than a month later uh, on their way to a wedding in a different country. And my little brother, how I like to tell it is my little brother convinced my parents that it would be boring for him if I'm not there. Truth is, he still would have loved it. But (laughs) you got to go again. (laughs) Exactly. It got me to go back less than a month later, which was very exciting for me. So I got to see the country with the college students and with my Israeli guide, as well as with my parents Mm. traveling around in our rental car and meeting different locals and foreigners who were visiting. Uh, That was the summer after freshman year. A year later, I was accepted to a program that was discontinued after one year, Uh, but it was, I was part of the pilot program for the leadership project, which was at uh, Oranim Academic College near Haifa in the north of Israel. And it was about 15 of us from maybe seven or eight different countries Jewish and Christian young adults together to study anti-Semitism, to study Israeli history, Judaism, um, IDF, uh, Krav Maga. The, What's IDF? The, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces. Okay. We w- visited a rehabilitation center for wounded soldiers. Oh. We also visited various communities. Uh, we went down close to Gaza. We went up north. We went all throughout the country and that was an amazing experience and really got to be immersed in more of local Israeli society. Following that I continued (laughs) my love clearly for (laughs) Israel and its people and I staffed a trip for passages that organization that had first taken me so I helped lead a group of 30 or 40 young adults from the United States on a trip. It was amazing. I became very close friends with my tour guide. That was uh, January of 2020, so right before COVID. Mm. And at that time, uh, because I was graduated, I had graduated early from Texas A&M, and I was deciding where I wanted to do my master's degree, and I really wanted to be in Israel. So I was deciding between two schools in Israel. And when I was there in January of 2020, like I said, the tour guide and I became very close friends. I was even like FaceTiming his elementary school kids while on the trip, which was exciting. I went back to the U.S. for three weeks. 
I returned to Israel all of February 2020 to do what's called Ulpan, which is intensive Hebrew studies. So it was my mom's idea, and I was attending Hebrew University just for one month in Jerusalem um, to really get a feel for living in Jerusalem and as a student, because when you travel or when you're on a program or you're just visiting, it's so different from actually living in a country. And also, I was interested in that specific school for my studies. Mm -hmm. And so that was a great immersion at the school, in the culture, and really living there. And then the that tour guide I had mentioned, he and his wife, I stayed with them and their children for a good portion of the month that I was there. Uh, we're very, very close. Even his wife is my mom on Facebook. Um, so <laughs> they're, they're my family there. Uh, then... I left Israel right before the start of COVID, unrelated to COVID, like I was planning on leaving at the end of February regardless, um, but I was planning on attending grad school in Israel in the fall, and I was deciding between University of Haifa and Hebrew University, and so I decided on Hebrew University where I had studied Hebrew and learned the basics, and I returned to Israel November of 2020 to live there as a full-time student. And uh, it was an amazing experience because despite anything bad that came with COVID, uh, for me, there were also benefits because I got to live in the country with only local Israelis and mm -hmm. people who had special visas. So really got to be immersed in the culture much more than I would have been during any other year and get to make form the deeper friendships and relationships not only with professors, but also with local Jewish communities, as well as Palestinian communities in the West Bank. I found some very good friends there. What were some of the, like, were you ever shocked? Like, oh, this is how they do this here. Like, did you find your Western world or your American-isms coming out and being like, oh, I, I can't do that here? No, I did not. Um, I grew up always loving travel and other cultures and uh, immersing myself wherever I went. Yeah. And so, so I, for you, that transition <laughs> may not have been as hard as no, it maybe would have been. It's very, very natural for me. Okay. Uh, whether it be in South Korea and like, I, I did a cultural exchange in South Korea when I was fourteen for a couple weeks one summer. Did you eat any weird food? Uh, I had what's called sanakji, which is like um, live octopus wriggling mm. on the plate. Oh, um. <laughs> did you eat it? Like culturally, aren't you supposed to eat what's put on your plate? Are you, were you um, can you be like, I don't, everything. So you just love everything. She's, so she's perfect. <laughs> this is perfect for her. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like you're just attuned to going from place uh -huh. to place and being willing to try that. Absolutely. And then mm. um, I traveled a lot with my family growing up. And so my parents would always say, we don't have new furniture. We don't have brand new cars, but we have thousands of photo albums. Mm -hmm. And so that was what was really important to me. So like when you said earlier, about the tree and mm -hmm. what you like to decorate on mm -hmm. the tree um, are one of our well multiple of our trees but one of our trees at home is filled with all of our ornaments from our holiday trips oh. so my birthday is around Thanksgiving time and then um, so all my siblings and I are off for th that and so we'd always take a trip growing up or during Christmas time we would take a trip or in the summer spring break whenever possible we would mm -hmm. and so every country we visit or every place we visit, my parents will get an ornament, sometimes custom designed, sometimes just it, it'll say the country. 
Uh, but I've, yeah, I've always really loved that. And then during my undergrad, I studied abroad in Costa Rica, Mexico, Israel, and a short time in Cuba. And so I've always just loved the immersion. Um, in Israel, it's very, very diverse. And so you can, you can see so many different cultures, whether it's Russian, Ethiopian, hmm. um, Interesting. all over the world. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. there are many Filipinos there. There are many Argentinians. Like the, the entire globe is represented in the small country of 9 million people. The size of New Jersey, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's not, it's not big. Mm. So, um, as you're, um, and we'll get to kind of more what's happened recently in just, a, in just a minute, but, um, you're first in Israel when you w- did that trip with passages or, you know, when you first started getting to know Israel, is there anything as you were going over, despite how much you guys knew that was, different than what you thought like we all have these preconceived ideas of the countries we visit did you go to Israel at any point and as you're sitting there going oh I thought it was this but it's really this or you explained this to me but I didn't get it now I'm looking at it was there anything that stood out to you I can't think of any major things that uh, that my mind completely shifted on however all the nuances and the complexities and everything to do with little bits of culture and also bigger picture things definitely were put more into perspective. Then this could be from a biblical or secular mindset. So, you know, biblically, like after you've been to Israel, you're never the same when you read your Bible. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you see about, you know, dry bones being breathed into, you can see, oh, this is where it would be in Israel. Or if it says about, the temple you can see where the temple stood or if you go to the sea of galilee you know that's where jesus walked on water and that's where the fishing stories happened like wherever you go you can actually picture it and that's Mm. always something special Mm. Um, another thing is just the layout of the land so more more politically (laughs) um if you like where where i used to live in israel and the community where the tour guide lives although they live in israel proper If you look down the valley, there's a Palestinian village. And I'll explain about the different areas Mm -hmm. of the West Bank. Um, There's Palestinian village. And then right on the other side of that village is an Israeli settlement of all ultra-Orthodox Jewish individuals and families. Right past that is more uh, Palestinian communities. Past that, more Jewish settlements. Past that, more... Um, Palestinian areas and, and it continues. So for those of us that don't know any of that, we think there's just this hard line a lot of times, I think, between Israel and Palestinians or Israelis and Palestinians, like a border almost. The way you're explaining it is there's different encampments that are layered on top of each other. So you can go through one, go through another, go through another, go through another. Is that true across the whole border or is it just sectioned? Yes, this is something that a visual definitely is helpful. Um, So the country of Israel, yeah, it's the size of New Jersey. It's so tiny. It's (laughs) Texas is like a million times. And even Israel's surrounded by big countries, right? And they're tiny in the middle of a lot of big countries. It's a speck on a map. And then Mm -hmm. Jerusalem is like a tiny 
speck inside a mm. speck. Um, yeah, so the area of what's called the West Bank, which is the, it refers to the West Bank of the Jordan River, because from 1948 until 1967, so from the Israeli War for Independence until the Six-Day War in 1967, the, that whole area called the West Bank, or in biblical terms, Judea and Samaria, was occupied by Jordan. So it was the West Bank of the Jordan River. In and then after 1967, when Israel regained control of that area, um, in the 90s, the area was divided um, under what's called the Oslo Accords. Mm. And so Palestinian and Israeli leaders met in other countries as well, and they determined the Oslo Accords dividing the West Bank into three main areas, areas A, B, and C. So area A is fully controlled by the Palestinian Authority. That would be the Palestinian cities like Ramallah, Jenin, Nablus, various Palestinian areas. So the Palestinian Authority, the governing body, would be in control of the civil and security affairs there. Area C is uh, controlled fully by Israel. So that would be all of the Israeli settlements as well as the major roads inside the West Bank. So mm. Israel has control civilly and militarily there. And then area B, I like to think of Be'ahad, which in Hebrew means both or together. Um, that is a mix. So it's Palestinian civil control, but it's Israeli security control. So that would be a lot of the Palestinian villages around and so that's how it's divided. But if you look on the map, it just looks like a lot of polka dots mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for what's area A, what's B, what's C. And then like the city of Hebron, that's a whole nother thing that has an, it's called H1 and H2. So H1 is the Palestinian area of Hebron, which is, um, has about 200,000 Palestinians living there. And then H2 is a tiny little um, Jewish Israeli area of Hebron with just a couple hundred people and that area is significant because that's where the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is so it's where Abraham was buried and um, yes the, the matriarchs mm -hmm. and patriarchs and that's a very <laughs> mm -hmm. contested or con yeah, contested contentious area, area. Right? yeah that yes makes sense. Um, but inside yeah yeah if you if you're standing even on the green line which is the border from from one of the Israeli wars like if I'm looking from my one of the houses I often stay in in the border community, like I said, I can look down and I see the Palestinian village. It's mainly area B. Right past that is area C. And then past that is, you know, it could be A, it could be B, mm -hmm. it could be C. And it's not just a, like there there is a there is a cleaner line with the West Bank itself. Um, with Israel, there's there's a border fence and wall it's about 90 percent fence 10 percent wall built on that line so israel has up north well to, to the left to the west is mm -hmm. mediterranean sea up north there's lebanon and then next to it is syria and then right below that is jordan and then uh, there's the red sea and then it's the gaza strip in egypt next okay. to the mediterranean sea and so when people talk about what happens in Gaza versus what happens in West Bank, although they're both the Palestinian people, they're completely separated. They're Israel um, is in the middle of both. 
Yeah, so the Gaza Strip is a really small land area that is connected to both Egypt and Israel. Neither country really wants it, which also makes the issues very difficult. Uh, but yeah, so Gaza Strip is bordered by Israel, the Mediterranean Sea, and by Egypt. Hmm. And so the crossings, the checkpoints or crossings, are only in and out of Egypt and Israel. So Jericho's in the West Bank. Yes. Bethlehem's in the West Bank. Yes. Hebron is. Jerusalem is not. Jerusalem, um, it depends on the person you ask because... I mean, it looks like it is right there. Yes. It's a so, dot. Yeah, my apartment, um, my old apartment overlooks the West ba- overlooks the wall with the West Bank. My current apartment is a lot closer to Bethlehem, like a different part of the West mm-hmm. Bank, but also close. And so Jerusalem... In 1967, uh, so prior to 1967, Jerusalem was divided due to the Jordanian occupation of the West Bank and parts of East and East Jerusalem, as well as the old city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so in 1967, when Israel gained control of all of Jerusalem, um, the the Israelis united Jerusalem. That's a date that a lot of people use as the date that they became a nation, right? 1967 is when they became a nation, and that's mm-hmm. when they say biblically, prophetically-wise, because I can't recall it, but when they become a nation or they regain control, that's kind of what you said. Regained uh, control. control. Yeah, because the war for independence was in 1948, and the Jewish people have always been... Maybe it's um, 48, it's Jewish not 67. Yeah, yeah, 1948 was the Israeli War for Independence. 1967 is when Israel um, gained control of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. like of, well, of East Jerusalem and of mm-hmm. the old city yeah. and reunited all of Jerusalem together. Would you say it's a safe, is Jerusalem safe? In general, it's the safest place I feel in the entire world. Interesting. Absolutely. Because the news and the media don't, they don't make you feel that way, right? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. So well, let's talk think, about that. Yeah, because I think even, I mean, Israel is surrounded by countries that don't like them, except for Jordan, right? Jordan's their so, only ally in the region, really? No, mm-hmm. Jordan and Egypt. And Egypt, both ha- Well, Jordan and Egypt, I wouldn't say they're friends with Israel, but they have what's called a cold peace. So they're not at war. But they're not saying, hello, Israelis, come right. visit us. That's come a good word. Us. But they're not bombing them. Correct. Like, but they're surrounded by all Muslim like, nations, too. Correct. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yes. Um, but a couple of years ago, uh, Israel had what's called the Abraham Accords yep. with mm-hmm. various countries. Um, so with the United Arab Emirates, uh, with Morocco, and with Bahrain. And they're looking at adding other countries into this agreement. Mm-hmm. And that has been amazing for different um, strategic allies and and peace. Not well. It's a good strife <laughs> toward yeah. peace and cooperation and recognition of the only Jewish state in the entire world. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay, let's fast forward to. We were at Bible study on, I don't even remember date. What 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 day it was? October tenth or something like that. Let's say that or eleventh. And your mother was like, "We need to get her. She's she's finally coming home." Or she's finally there. I guess you hit a point. So October 7th took place um, in Israel. And then where were you on that day? What did it look like? Did y'all know it was going to happen? Or did you hear rumblings of it where you were at? What what did that look like from where you were? Which I do recall you saying 
too, that you could hear the bombs and how small it was. It was like from Dallas to Fort Worth. You were like, it's like an hour. And I think you said that to Jamie's Bible study. You felt like you could, it's the difference of where you were when the bombings were taking place was, it felt like the difference from Dallas to Fort Worth. And I thought, that's still really close. I would be nervous. Yeah, so before I explain about um, 7 October, yeah. I'll explain what I do because that... Yeah, uh, we, we, missed, we haven't gotten there. <laughs> yes. Sorry. We were, yeah, we missed that. That's important. That's okay. It's okay. So after my master's degree in Israel, I finished it in the fall of 2021, and my visa was almost up, and I was not ready to leave. Shocker. Shocker. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at different job opportunities, organizations, and nonprofits, and um all sorts of different places. And my dad had found a position with the International Christian Embassy of Jerusalem, which is an amazing organization that has humanitarian projects throughout the country of Israel. So whether it's for Israelis who are Jewish or Druze, Bedouin, Christian, Muslim, like all the different communities where where there's a need, our organi- the organization does something there so we run a home well the organization runs a home for holocaust survivors they build they fund the building of bomb shelters down by gaza and up by lebanon and syria they fund emergency flights for jewish families in war-torn areas like ethiopia and ukraine and all different projects throughout the country so preparing food packages for needy families sponsoring tech courses or ulpans for new immigrants, just every facet of Israeli society. The other half, or the, the other part of the organization, we host the biggest event for Christians in the country who visit each year. And so every year, a couple thousand Christians come during the fall to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles during mm. the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. Oh, that'd be so amazing. It is, yes. And so it comes from the verse in the Hebrew Bible that says, and all the nations will gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. And so this organization has been hosting this event since 1980. It's a moed, like an appointed time with God. And anyway, so my dad found the position with this organization. I interviewed in person and online my last week of my visa in Israel in October of 2021. Those went really well. I went back to the U.S. the day my visa expired. A couple days later, they said, we want you. You're hired. And then I was just waiting for a new visa. I w- I was, so I was in the States for about five months. And I returned to Israel in April of 2022 to work in this organization, in the, regist- in the department that handles all the registrations uh, for the big festival, um, and so my tasks are very international. It's mm. close to what I studied. So my degrees are in uh, international politics and diplomacy, a degree in Spanish, and a master's degree in human rights with a focus in international law. And so um, getting to work with delegates from around the world and write letters of invitation for visas and kind of be the liaison between Israel and the rest of the world or between these Christian tourists and the Jewish state just being the liaison for that has been a form of diplomacy in itself Mm -hmm. Um, working with the tour agency and being a liaison with them anyway 
So that has been a very nice experience. And and we have branches in 91 countries around the world, but we reach over 170 countries. Holy cow. (laughs) So it's a very very international experience. Anyway, this year, Sukkot was the end, or the Feast of Tabernacles was from the end of September through early October. On October 5th, uh, so we are, the event in total had a couple thousand people, but for one specific event, we, ha- we brought 700 Christians from over 50 countries down to um, the border with Gaza. So we brought these delegates to see the communities living on the Israeli side of the wall with Gaza and to hear stories of their resilience and about their community and about them wanting, you know, of course they want the best life for their children and also a great life for the people on the other side of the wall. And just really um, to, to show support for this the, for these border communities, we also had built bomb shelters in those, those towns. And so to... The towns that were bordering Gaza. Right, so on the Israeli side. You have, on the Israeli side... Um, and they had, I know they had friendships with people on the other side of the wall who were coming over to work and everything else too. Right. And so you helped build shelters there for them in the just in case kind of scenarios. Yes. The organization did pay for the the bomb shelters because when rockets are launched by terrorist organizations inside the Gaza Strip, like in Jerusalem, I have a minute to a minute and a half to run and seek shelter if the rocket is coming toward Jerusalem. If you are next to Gaza, you have a matter of seconds, maybe five seconds, maybe 10, mm. but it's if you are not dropping to the ground or jumping in a bomb shelter, you likely won't make it. Um, the risk in the rest of Israel is less threatening because of amazing Israeli technology called the Iron Dome. Right. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible. They intercept the it's rockets. Incredible. It is incredible. It's incredible. I was reading about it. It's yes. absolutely incredible. I've seen it in action many, many times. Well, they're it's saying incredible. it's like 92% exactly. accurate mm-hmm. or something. That's cr- they just, accurate. They just crazy. shot them down a couple of days ago. There was something that mm-hmm. came up and they talked about it. Yes. I've seen a lot of interceptions. Mm-hmm. It's incredible i think a newscaster even said and one got through but like they shot nine different mm-hmm. bombs down but one got through i thought that's yeah and pretty that's, good. that fits they're saying 92 yeah. percent that mm-hmm. fits nine out mm-hmm. of ten get dropped but then there's one absolutely yeah. so they won't shoot it down if it's going toward an empty field because it's incredibly expensive mm-hmm. to shoot one of the rockets but i've seen many over apartment buildings over the beach just various places i have been that, yeah, and you took the delegates. I didn't want to interrupt your story. Sorry. You took the delegates there on October 5th, you're saying? Yes, so to two meet days everybody. prior to the Two massacre. days prior. Okay. We so were with the mayor of the like of the region, the head of the regional council, and he spoke to the group. And it was an incredible, empowering experience. We got to visit the bomb shelters funded by the donations by these delegates so they could really see where their impact was made. And um, then the next day, on October 6th, we had our last day of the festival in Jerusalem. And a lot of people, some pe- some people left the country on the 6th, but most were still in the country. Mm. And on the 7th, I was awoken by my friend uh, at 8 in the morning, we <laughs> which I know it's not super early, but... When you're working 15 to 20 hours per day for a few months for a oh, festival. yeah, you're sleeping I in a little sleep. bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So I was woken up and she said, Annalise, get up. They're, 
the 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 iron dome is happening like sirens are going off we need to get to shelter and so um, my two friends and I uh, ran downstairs because our the bomb shelter in our building is right below my apartment um, in in the past I'm not sure how many years but in newer building codes it's required that every apartment has a bomb shelter room but my apartment's a little bit older so our bomb shelter is is down below but thankfully we live on the first floor mm. and so it was much easier to get mm. to it and so we were there yeah that Saturday morning we went about five times in a matter of four hours in and out of the bomb shelter and we we got to meet the neighbors so that was <laughs> <laughs> that was nice um but that but but the day that that happened the day that rockets were being launched um, was Simchat Torah, which is a Jewish holiday at the end of Sukkot. And it is an amazing and joyous, one of the happiest celebrations. Which is why you saw like festivals going on. Exactly, exactly. And it was also Shabbat, which is the day of rest. And so if you are someone who's Jewish and you're religiously observant, then from Friday sundown until an hour after Saturday sundown, when you can three, see three stars in the sky, you would not be on your phones, you would not be cooking, you would not be turning on your lights, you would not be driving, you would be in synagogue, or you'd be with your family, you would be praying, you would be resting, you would not be looking at the news, you mm-hmm. would not be um, doing any of them. Yeah, so this kind of thing would take you totally off guard because you're not engaged with the outside world at all during this time. And rockets are nothing new in Israel. Uh, When I was... That's a good reminder to us. It's not new to y'all at all. Right. So when I was a student in Israel prior to my current job, um, in in May of 2021, over 10,000 rockets were launched from Gaza in a matter of 10 to 12 days. Um, and so when I was I was in Tel Aviv at the time with a friend and I was staying for I was staying for the weekend and then when all the rockets la- were launched, I ended my two-day trip turned into two weeks. Mm. So I always say, "Oh, I lived in Tel Aviv for <laughs> a few weeks um, during the last operation." And so that the last time so that was that was in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and that was the first time rockets had been launched at either of those cities in a number of years. Rockets around the Gaza Strip happen daily, and it's tragic. Um, but it it's a it's that's nothing new. But it was even though it's horrible, um, but that was the first time in many years that it happened to other communities in Israel, and so. On October 7, although the sirens and the rockets, like, of course, it's difficult for everyone, but with the Iron Dome um, and with other other factors and having bomb shelters, that wasn't the biggest threat to people. Uh, the biggest thing on, on 7 October was the infiltration right. into the communities. With the fighters and the exactly. gliders and the, you know, getting through. Exactly. So With loads of soldiers who went house to house. Right? Mur- yes. Murdering mm-hmm. civilians, murdering animals. Um, there were many verifiable accounts of rapes and pillages and murders 
and children being taken, being separated from their parents, grandparents being slaughtered, uh, eyes being gouged out, just horrible atrocities um, that should not obviously that Hamas was doing to the Israeli people on the other side of the border from the Gaza Strip correct and this infiltration was horrific and took the whole country by surprise so the fact the fact that the fact that Hamas not necessarily all the Gazans but the fact that this terrorist organization that is in control of the Gaza Strip the fact that they hate Jews and that they hate Israelis in general that's no surprise. That has always been known. Mm-hmm. They've made it clear ever since their founding. So in their 1988 charter, they talk about wanting to slaughter the Jews. That's nothing new. However, this incursion on 7 October and how it happened and how long they were able to run freely around all of these From village to village, community exactly. community. Mm-hmm, exactly. Taking back over 200 innocent hostages uh, is is horrific and that was the main surprise because israel has one of the best militaries and military capabilities in the entire world their security their internal security is mind-blowing mm-hmm. and so the fact that this could even happen uh, felt very surreal but you mentioned this is happening on sabbath or shabbat correct so are y'all aware of what's taking place during that? Or you just know you're going in the bomb shelter. You don't know any of this horrible evilness that's taking place till Sunday or till an hour after sundown. So it w- it w- depended on the person um, because my friends and I are not Jewish. So we don't keep Shabbat as it's called. We did have our phones. So okay. we were able to see the news. And then many, uh, many Jewish people living in Israel are not observant. So... A lot of them, they could be more traditional and more secular, so they would have their phones, they could be texting friends, they could be cooking, doing different things. Mm-hmm. But if you are observant in a religious sense, you would not. Right. Um, and one of the only, like really the only way that you could break any of those Shabbat rules is to save a life. And so when my neighbors were asking my friends and me, what's going on, what are they saying? It was okay because it was to save a life. Mm. And it was, yeah, it was life-threatening to all of Israel. Mm -hmm. Because you have stories of friends and family driving to go rescue other friends and family on the border. Right. Like that can happen. Um, Or like, for example, if a woman is about to give birth and it's Shabbat Mm -hmm. and she's religiously observant, if her husband drives her to the hospital on Shabbat because she's, her water broke, you know, then that's very different from... I'm bored. Let's mm-hmm. go to the beach. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. very, very different. And so some communities, it took them a lot longer to hear about this due to like their actual community um, all being more observant or not having mm-hmm. access to the technology. Um, but it affected the entire country for sure. Mm. So um, you have you have friends all over. You've talked about you have friends, Palestinian friends. You have friends that have lived in different communities. Um, Did you have friendships impacted by this? Um, Just because now you're faced with something that has not faced Israel for a while. Hence the surprise, right? Yes, this is an excellent question. Um, I would say 
surface level friendships, those were probably more affected, but that's not very impactful on me because they're very surface level. Um, so some of my, I have very diverse friend group. Um, they're not all necessarily friends, but I'm kind of the link. Mm-hmm. So some, one of my closest friends, well, closest whole family, actually, they are modern Orthodox Jewish. The husband is a rabbi and they're also one of my adopted families. We're very, very close. And then my best friend is a Palestinian Muslim in the West Bank. And I have friends who are who are Bedouin, which is like the nomadic Arab tribes living in Israel, usually Muslim, and also they're in other countries in the Near East. And friends who love Israel, friends who hate Israel, just all different communities. Uh, thankfully, the people who mattered the most to me, whether we even if we don't fully agree on what's happening, they have stayed my true friends, and they have been very good and calm and not concerning in regards to you know what we both believe and how we're the same or how we're different. Mm-hmm. You said the word verified earlier when you mm-hmm. were describing what has happened. And then like you just said too, like friends agree or disagree with mm-hmm. what's happening. Can you tell there is disagreement on what is truly happening over there and what is not happening? Like what is truth versus fiction? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in any war, there's a cloud over mm-hmm. yeah. everything coming out of it and everything happening. However, there are some discernible truths. Um, that you can find, uh, for example, I mean, just just the blanket lies that have come out of this. Like if Give when you example. see, sure, when like you, I know some, but I, yeah. when I'm here, I'm <laughs> it's all right. Um, for example, there was um, in inside Gaza at one of the hospitals that reports instantly came out that Israel struck a hospital. And Israel tried to do an airstrike on the hospital, killing 500 or 5,000 people, like some crazy number. And they said, Israel did this, they did the airstrike. And then all of the reports that came out by the media were how horrible Israel is and how could they do this targeting civilians. It's a war crime against the Geneva Conventions and everything. But if you took, you know, a couple minutes (laughs) to actually look into it, Uh, Well, first off, Israel does not strike civilian targets. But even if you believe that they do, this airstrike, if you look at the damage, it didn't hit the hospital. It was a parking lot. There were no Israeli airstrikes happening in that area during this time. There is a Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket launch site right up the street from this hospital. And the damage that it did in the parking lot is not airstrike damage. If Israel wants to level an area, they could. Mm-hmm. And the damage that was done by this failed rocket was nothing like an intentional airstrike attack mm. would be. And then once some reports came out that, oh, actually, it was a failed rocket, magically 10 to 50 people died, not 500. Mm-hmm. They said they counted 500 people in 20 minutes. Yeah. But where? But they didn't. So you're saying it was a failed launch from the Hamas kind of stronghold right down the road from it? From Palestinian Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization. Oh, okay, not Hamas. It was another one. And there there were other there were um there were there was more evidence as well about the situation, but this specific like just that Mm. it was instantly everyone believed the Gaza Health Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas because Hamas 
is currently ruling Gaza. So the Gaza Strip prior to 2005 also had Israelis living in it. And there were farms and greenhouses and there were Palestinians and there were um, Jewish Israelis and yeah, they were living there. And then 2005, Israel had a complete disengagement from Gaza. Israel took out all of their troops. They removed all of their settlements, all of the Israelis. They got out in 2005. And then shortly after that, all of the greenhouses were burned. All the farms were Mm. destroyed. Like any infrastructure that Israel had put up prior to 2005 that could have brought millions of dollars or shekels and lots of revenue to the Strip was completely gone. In 2006, there were elections over which Palestinian faction would run the Gaza Strip. Hamas won. They have been in power since 2006, 2007. They have not had an election since 2006, 2007. So while they were voted into power in that year, they've They've not allowed themselves to be voted out. Exactly, because they're supposed to have elections every couple of years, and they haven't. Mm-hmm. So adding to some of the confusion, I think, for people outside of Israel who don't understand the dynamics, because there's a lot of them, I think is all these different terrorist and faction groups, tribal kind of entities or whatever, right, that also hate Israel, that are participating in weird ways, right? Like you alluded to one that it hit the parking garage in the hospital, but there's also some up north of Israel, right? Yes, yes. And so how do you, are you guys impacted by that at all? The different, because Israel's not just taking bombs and rockets from the Gaza Strip. They're taking them from other places surrounding them, right? Uh, There were some attempted rockets from Jenin, which is a Palestinian city in the West Bank. Uh, mainly the, the actual rockets happen mostly from Gaza, but then Hezbollah up in Lebanon is also a threat. But as far as what is happening, most rockets are from the Gaza Strip, but there are terrorist factions in the West Bank. For example, Lion's Den, that is a very, I mean, up and coming makes it sound too positive, but that's a very... Um, <laughs> Getting stronger. It's an, exactly. It's a, it's, it's, they're, yeah, they're gaining traction, a mm-hmm. terrorist organization in Nablus, like the north of the West Bank, uh, what's very concerning is, like when I would when I would read about, you know, maybe Israel took out one of their leaders or something, and it says that the leader is 21 years old, and I'm 25, mm-hmm. and just to think that a, a lot of the the members of that specific organization, as well as other terrorist factions, are my age. Or they're mm-hmm. younger than I am, or they are the same age as my younger brother. Is very they've been raised to take this up, right? right? Probably, absolutely, absolutely. And so there are sometimes it's taught in schools, sometimes it's taught by families. Sometimes, I mean, like in the Gaza Strip, they have an over fifty percent unemployment rate. Well, if you are an eighteen-year-old boy, you don't have a job, you feel like you're under siege, you feel like you're under occupation, whether you are or are you not is a different story. But when you feel like you are, you feel like you have nothing to live for. You have no prospects anywhere. You can join some. Right. Well, the terrorist group gives you a purpose, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Gives you a exactly. Purpose. Or like in the West yeah. Bank, there's um, it's called pay for slay campaigns, where if, if a Palestinian attempts to murder 
an Israeli civilian, and they get put in Israeli jail, their family gets paid. So if mm, yeah, so if you're if you're out of work, yeah. But if you go murder some, if you go try to stab a police officer, so yeah, it doesn't have to even be a civilian, and Israel puts you in jail, then your family's taken care of for as long as you're in prison. Because mm-hmm. this is one thing I just the history of it is out of people's reach some way because mm-hmm. like you try to look it up and it's hard mm-hmm. to tell what's true and what's not. Like mm-hmm. even if you're trying to do mm-hmm. due diligence to get good information. So you begin to understand all this. It's hard to find like you. So where would you suggest if someone's like, I want to go read like your, your boots on the ground, you're in the middle of all this. If someone wants to go get accurate information, um, about all these things you're talking about mm-hmm. that maybe you wouldn't know otherwise, where would you send them to go? To, to various look? places. Um, if it's on a personal level, then I'm very happy <laughs> to yeah. talk with people. Yeah. Um, I, so we can, you can email us and we'll put you in touch with Annalise. There's yeah, one. Sure. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Um, yes. I also, it's for me, it's very important that I see all different sides and viewpoints. And so when atrocities happen, um, even though I may not agree with a lot of the news that comes out, I do see why people believe what they do. For example, um, this was one or two years ago in the old city of right outside the old city of Jerusalem, an Israeli, a Jewish Israeli man uh, with his car hit an Arab. And that's obviously horrible. And the video that going ar- going around was how bad this was that, you know, he hit a Muslim person, an Arab Muslim. But the uncut footage of that shows that two seconds prior he was being mobbed and there were rocks thrown at his car mm. and lynching was happening that prevented him from being able to see and his car got out of control and hit somebody. And so when I see whether it's friends or friends of friends posting the cut Clips. footage, then I see, okay, even okay, if you don't see what actually happened, I totally see why you believe this, even though I don't agree, like to, to be able to see that or to see... You but know, to what, know there's a before and an after right. that you're not seeing on a clip right. on TikTok or and that goes for anybody yes, for any that situation. Goes for yeah, absolutely. That's so important. Um, it's not all about just the clicks and the likes or the two second trauma video. Um, these are real things that are happening. Things happen before. Things happen after. But I, I really do view all the different situations, and I have very yeah friends. My, my closest friends are in the West Bank and inside Israel, um, Muslim, Jewish, like observantly Jewish, secular Jewish, all different types. And I visit, I'm in both communities Pretty all often. the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I lived like my old apartment. The view from my window was actually a refugee camp in the West Bank. Mm. Is that. the Israeli news sources as crazy as the American news sources? Like, can you say this is more liberal, this is more conservative? Oh, certain? absolutely. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Because um, there's a couple people that I follow that if you want information about mm-hmm. Israel, they'll say, go look at this, and it's an mm-hmm. Israeli news source. And you can watch video, you can see the things that are taking place. But I always yes. wondered. There's got to be a filter there, too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there, But you can definitely find, like, if you want the really right-wing, really yep. left-wing. And there's a mix as well, more moderate. Um, I remember there, there was one much more left-wing paper or website mm-hmm. um, that got to the point of blaming Israel for mm. the 
attacks on on the 7th saying well actually it was israeli helicopters and this was israelis like mm-hmm. an israeli organized um haaretz the newspaper saying it which was not true mm-hmm. um and you can find you can find enough lies as well mm-hmm. in israeli media but you can also find a lot of truth in it um oh what i meant to mention earlier mm-hmm. also on october 7 because i had thousands of tourists on the ground and I was a point of contact for many of them with the country. My day was spent sending emergency information to all the delegates who were in the hotels or who needed flights out. One of my my friend who woke me up that morning, she and I even got tickets for a couple, an elderly couple who needed an emergency flight out. We spent like an hour, two hours on the phone with them trying to get them these tickets because a lot of flights are being canceled um, out of the country, so it was extremely difficult for many to leave. And then I was asked by the aid department in our organization if I if I would go to Tzolhadasa, which is the community uh, on the border with the West Bank, the one I had mentioned where the tour guide mm-hmm. lives. Um, the the woman who works in our aid department knows that my adopted family is like my home is really in that village, that town, that village, um, and so just if I would go there to take care of families that had fled from these communities right outside of Gaza. Mm. And so even though, like, yes, I was in and out of the bomb shelter on the 7th and I was helping tourists get out, but I was not at the the border with Gaza. I was not in these atrocities, but my tasks were taking care of the families who did mm. go through all go that, through affected all this. by it. Yeah, they they fled their their towns with nothing um and so i was taking care of them and that was impactful Mm -hmm. in itself even though we didn't talk about what they saw because like you know how do you talk oh yeah i'm no trauma therapist no no so Um, is it does your organization put out information if someone wants to go read kind of more about what is going on and try to get yes. an understanding like oh who? yes and one of my okay. bosses he's an amazing source on this our international okay. spokesman uh, he's not my boss at the moment but i did work in his department for five months of this year um yes yeah, so the organization is the international christian embassy of jerusalem icej on our website icej.org you can go to the news area and find very oh that's good yeah very yeah. good great. articles really well written mainly by our international spokesman David Parsons but also by other staff members about what actually happened or who is Hamas mm. what is going on also what we're doing mm-hmm. in the war efforts and kind of get a background on some history and Absolutely. all that kind of stuff that's yes good. yes so that would be an excellent source. Another source is called the Philos Project. Uh, Philo meaning like friend in, in Greek. Um, so Philos Project is the mother organization of passages, the one that first took me to Israel. And uh, they put out really great content, really great podcasts as well about the situation. Their purpose is positive Christian engagement in the Near East. So I did their four-month apprenticeship last year. Wow. Yes, <laughs> one and a half years ago over the Abraham Accords. And after our trainings and our various, like like a weekend getaway and our months of studying, we went, well, I was physically in Israel 
already for my job, but our small group, our cohort was in Israel and the United Arab Emirates Mm. to meet with political leaders, uh, spiritual leaders, community leaders, all different people in regards to Abraham Accords. And the Felis Project is incredible at providing accurate and good information about the conflict. And they do not shy away from talking to all sorts of different people. No, that's um, good. Very, very high profile and very, uh, you know, ones that people look at if they knew the people with whom we met would say, mm. why on earth would you meet with them? But it's important to hear all these different mm-hmm. perspectives. So they are a great source. Um, they also do have contacts with the Gazan Christians because one of their, what's called a fellow, a man who worked with the Felis Project, he uh, he was born in a Christian family in Gaza, and he left Gaza for the West Bank, which is very difficult to do, but that's a whole other story. Um, and he's currently in D.C., but his family is still in Gaza. And they also have contacts throughout Israel and with the IDF and with various Palestinian leaders, and that would be a great source. The Philos Project, as well as Passages. Uh, for me personally, I also like the various WhatsApp groups. There's one called Jewish Breaking News. I can send a link mm. to anyone who wants that. Um, that has been Good. very useful and different war updates. So so now tell us, how did you get back here? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I was actually not planning on coming back during the war. I was going to be there uh, when I was in Sohadasa to be with the families that had fled. I really needed to be there. I did not question it for one second. When when she said, can you go to Suhadasa? I said, yes. And she mm-hmm. told me what it was for. And I said, absolutely. And so I went. Um, and then after about a week in Suhadasa, um, it was time for two of my coworkers to take over, kind of be rotated. They were able to spend more time with the family. Like their their work tasks allowed them to spend more time taking care of the family than my work tasks allowed. And so it was a wise transition on the part of my job to like rotate us out and Mm -hmm. someone else these weeks and someone else these weeks. Um, But before that, my dad had purchased me a ticket out of Jordan uh, because from Jerusalem, if you travel about an hour to the Palestinian city of Jericho, there's a land crossing in Jericho that goes into Jordan. Is that safe to do at that point? Well, <laughs> during that um, time, it's not the safest during this time. However, like I'd mentioned, my best friend is a Palestinian Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so he and his other best friend essentially were going to escort me the entire way there. Mm-hmm. So there we were going to meet in a West Bank city and we were going to travel together to the border, go through the border together, leave together. They would take me all the way to the airport. Do you and have I, to be disguised as you go? No, no, I... Thinking of like a movie right now. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Emily. No We're demonstrating our westernized my, bias. Like a movie. Look, look, I'm not that high profile, okay? <laughs> <laughs> For all they know, I could be some dumb blonde from yeah. California, you know? <laughs> anyway. Um, so you didn't life. go that route. Correct, so I did not. But um, and my, my dad knew I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but y- your dad is still your dad, and he wants his baby out of there. 
it was more that he trusted me to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. Both my parents, they were, despite (laughs) what everyone around them acted like, my parents were very comfortable with me staying. They trusted me. Mm -hmm. But of course, they're more comfortable if I returned here. Mm -hmm. Um, But for them, it was like, we know you're going to make the right decision. You're going to be where God wants you to be. And if God wants you to be in Israel right now and taking care of these families and doing what you need to do, then you'll be protected. And that's where you need to be. Uh, but, you know, you can come home, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so the people around my mom were all freaking out, all of her friends. My ex-boyfriend in university, his grandma was messaging me about coming home. Oh, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> I think the last time we talked was either a birthday or the last time an operation happened in Israel. Yeah. Um, but from my parents also were in constant communication. So they would know if something happened. Well, we're at Bible study on Friday morning mm-hmm. and your mother says, um, Annalise got a flight mm-hmm. from passages. Is I'll that right? I'll explain this. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Things were getting more tense and I was going to stay though. I was going to stay. Um, and then passages reached out to me and they said, Hey, we love you. You are alumni. You're stuck in Israel. If you want to come back to the U.S., we will pay for your flight to come back. We will get you a ticket. You just need to give us your passport number and show up. And it was so kind of them. It was an amazing offer. I decided to take them up on their offer, and they got me a ticket out of Dubai. So like Tel Aviv to UAE, UAE to Dallas. But you had to get from where you're at to to the Tel Tel Aviv airport. Mm -hmm. Right. And my, my thought process before that was even if I were to leave, I don't feel safe going to the airport. That's what I was On wondering. public transport, that's one and a half hours. On By car, it's, yeah, it's one hour, but who knows what's going to happen. Yes. If a rocket happens, we don't have a bomb shelter in the car. You, you mm-hmm. jump to the ground, you know? Or if the streets, I don't know who's on the streets. And the way from my house there to Jerusalem, I go through multiple checkpoints. And although I do know people in the communities the Palestinian communities there, like, I don't know what's going to happen. So when I did have to go from that small town to Jerusalem for various things, uh, my Palestinian friend, his close friend, lives in the Palestinian community that's the halfway point, and he scouted out for me how the road was going to be, who's on it, what's going on, so that I would have safe passage That's like, through like the checkpoints. Just it is. a little bit like a movie. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm making it sound more dramatic than it was. No, I don't know. It has but, to be dramatic it, during it, that. Yeah, yeah. So he was scouting it out for yes. me. Every dro- I mean, I tried not to drive much, but every mm-hmm. drive I took, um, they were scouting it well, out for me. Well, at one point me. I was texting, your mom and I were texting back and forth. I was mm-hmm. checking up on you. And she goes, yeah, she's on her way to the store, going through various checkpoints to get stuff for all the families in the bomb shelter. Yes. And then she was on her way back. She, You were like literally had just been texting her or something. Yeah. I was like, how are you doing, mama? She's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I was like yeah, in real time something. as a parent knowing, because as old as you all get, let's face it, you're still our kids. You're still mm-hmm. our babies. So yeah. So did you, so you finally make it to the airport? Oh, though. yes. Yes. How did you get, how'd you get to the airport? You drove or somebody took you or uh, a bus or two what? angels? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, so like Friday, it was the, like, a, it was on a Friday 
And we, yeah, for you guys, it was morning. For mm-hmm. me, it was evening. Shabbat mm-hmm. was coming in. And I was going to be rotated out to take care of the family on Sunday. And I was calling my dad, called with passages because my phone, something was wrong with my phone service. And then I talked with passage, not passages, but their travel agent. And she said, I can put you on a flight tomorrow afternoon. And I said, well, like, is it in any way possible Monday? Like, I need to finish this project. Is it possible? And she said, if you want to leave the country, this is the only flight I can get for you. You don't have other options. You take this one or you don't go, basically. And so it was a lot of prayer, a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I decided to take it. And so my thanks to was actually it was thanks to my close friend who got me in contact with his close friend who turned out to be my close friend's neighbor those two drove me from our town to the airport and thankfully there were no issues um they were super sweet so i did have Hmm. two friends driving me which was great and then i got through security um a lot of questioning like questioning i've never had on previous trips but it it you know, Israel does not have the luxury of not questioning. Mm-hmm. So even though even though I don't do bad things in Israel, I don't do sketchy things in the West Bank, the fact that I go there is reason enough for suspicion. Mm-hmm. The fact that I go there often, whether it be for for grocery shopping because it's half the price of Jerusalem or if I'm visiting friends or if I'm getting my highlights done, whatever the reason or I'm going to some BMW event, Whatever mm-hmm. the reason, like just the fact that I go there is concerning. Um, and so there was questioning, but that's okay. They're smart enough to know, mm-hmm. okay, this is not a, a girl doing, mm-hmm. you know, bad like Hamas things. This is, okay. Normal yes. stuff. Tomatoes cost $2 versus $7. Okay. You know, like, yeah. yeah. Um, so then you made it through security. Yes. Airport. Did you feel safe flying from where you were at to Dubai? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, like once you got in the air, you were like, okay. Yeah, I feel yeah. Good. Once we got in the air, then we were good. Got to Dubai. I landed in Dubai, and my phone was getting all these alerts about the Israeli airport getting rockets mm. uh, launched at it. Now they were pr- most likely all intercepted, um, but I I do get an alert every time in certain cities that rocket attacks are happening. So even if the Iron Dome shoots it down, you know, 92%, there is that small chance it won't. I have a question, though. So you flew out of Tel Aviv. Yes, and I flew backward because I flew to Dubai, which is like three and a half hours further from the States. Yes, I actually looked up the math, and I thought that was interesting, too. (laughs) But wherever you go. But is the Tel Aviv airport also called the Israeli airport? Yeah, I mean, it's so when the, you say the Israeli airport's being bombed, that's where you were coming out of. There's not multiple Israel, airports. So Israel has no, that. it's fine. Israel has a few airports, but probably ninety five percent of the time, people will be talking about the Tel Aviv airport. So there's an airport down south, uh, in near Elat, like way down, like four mm-hmm. hours south of Jerusalem. That's a really tiny airport. There's a small airport um, up north, but like if it's international flights so we could equate it to like new jersey back to new jersey like newark and newark airport out of new jersey that's their main yeah so when you say israeli airport it's a tel aviv airport that's what it's called okay i've always wondered that yeah ben gurion ben gurion well i think and we gotta wrap up we've been talking a while which is so (laughs) interesting thank you so much um i think one thing too is as i'm listening 
Number one, rockets have been going up against Israel for forever, like they years. And I don't know that people get that. Like people are talking about the consequences of this war on the Gaza Strip, Mm -hmm. which is really actually truly horrific on the people there, right? Um, But I think they leave out the fact that the reason it hasn't been as horrific on Israel is because they've been able to intercept all these rockets. But if they could not, Israel would be flattened too. Like they're constantly getting bombarded Mm -hmm. with artillery and rockets all the time. Look, the difference is... The IDF or is, is Israel hides its people behind the military. Gaza puts the, the people Gaza, in front. Hamas puts mm-hmm. their people mm-hmm. in front as human shields. Good way to say that. Right. That's right. So, for example, uh, a year or two ago, when a lot of rockets were going off from Gaza, there was the tragic death of a little toddler in Gaza. And it was horrible. And um, it, Israel, not intentionally, but she was collateral damage in, in what happened in Israel's response to rockets being launched. Well, what the news is not going to report, but my friend who's high up in Israeli like secret security stuff is, he said her dad is the one who was controlling the rockets being shot. No one wants her to die, but hmm. if if the strike was on her dad and if, if he's using her as a human shield or something... Yeah. he's willing to do it what can you do right and like you're not you're not seeing okay maybe a small minority in israel but you're not seeing the majority of israel celebrate when a gazan civilian innocent person dies Mm -hmm. and israel doesn't strike civilians but the fact that israel has bomb shelters and people go to them and people take care of each other and they have that support in the infrastructure especially with the shelters and the idea of protecting them the fact that fewer Jews died from a rocket attack because, because Iron Dome that. shot it, mm-hmm. um, then it's not necessarily that the other side is the victims because they had more people die. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I understand. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Their people. Yeah, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. And I think that just gets missed a lot yeah. over here in the conversations. Um, well, it's not reported. It. It's and not also, talked about. Like I have mm-hmm. a lot of my friends are soldiers in the IDF who are inside Gaza right now. And some of them are taking out terrorists and some of them are helping the civilians get to safer areas. And like I've met with the man, I've gone to the border a couple of years ago with the man who controlled all of the humanitarian shipments into Gaza during Operation Protective Edge in 2014. And he's the one who chooses all the trucks and everything, hundreds of trucks with food and fuel and supplies and all these different things to take care of the humans, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the actual normal civilians there. that just want to live right. their life and yeah. love their families. And, yeah. and the shipments are very mm-hmm. controlled and they're very restricted. But that's because they can't send into Gaza anything that could be used to make a weapon or a rocket. Or to help Hamas. Exactly. Yeah. So when Hamas is taking fuel or ransacking the UN buildings and the UNRWA buildings in Gaza... Like they're they're not helping their people. No, they're not. But they're also looking for stuff to make bombs. Absolutely, I think I heard you say that before. I Absolutely, that are looking for something they can attack and blame it on Israel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for this. is a hard, sad, <laughs> sad topic. But thank you for bringing helping us get some clarity, bringing some light to it, boots on the ground, and thank you for all 
you have done over there. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've been an amazing, incredible help um, to the people there and share the gospel in a way that is loving and rich Mm -hmm. and kind. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. We appreciate it. Well, that is it from us. We have had a great conversation, um, but that's it from Noisy Narratives today. This is Noisy Narratives out. Thank you. Bye. Life can be amazing.